Welcome to FinTech Brews and News, brought to you by Central Payments and Falls FinTech. I'm Nikki Rohde. And I'm Trent Sorby. Founders, co-founders, payments professionals, and, well, just people who love brews. This is a place to get a behind-the-scenes look at unique partnerships and ways to bridge the financial gap between banking, startups, and the entire fintech industry. Whether it's a beer, or coffee, or something else, there's certain to be a brew in every episode. After all, how do we function in this space without it? Each episode, you're sure to take away some good stuff going on in the financial technology space. So without further ado, let's grab a brew. Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of FinTech Brews and News. I'm Nikki Rohde, and I am here with a very special guest today to pick up on our continued series of women in FinTech. Kirsten Trusco, how are you? Delighted to be here. Well, it's such a pleasure. And you have not only been a pioneer in FinTech, and we often say before FinTech was FinTech. Um, I love the fact that you have played roles of CEO, founder, co-founder, advisor, mentor, president, executive director, all the variation of different touch points uh, in different areas in fintech. So take that and go a little deeper into uh, your background and what you're up to nowadays. Well, first of all, that was super generous. So, so thank you for that. You just made my day. So my LinkedIn is, is, is pretty up to date, but it'll show um, having started more on the traditional side and deciding that there's lots of people who do traditional. Let's figure out where the market is going. What are the new markets? So have been really, I'm really grateful that I've had opportunities even back when I was with KPMG. And um, my boss had said, well, you need to go do another conversion from thesis to first data or back and forth. It's like, that's just not, not much fun. Um, and that was kind of the start of being able to say, look, there's, there's something going in payments and in banking. And there's this fintech thing, financial technology. I mean, back in the day, right? And, and I said, there's this convergence at the time of health banking and insurance. It was before the health savings accounts were out. And I said, there's also 50 million people in the US who are underbanked. And, and, and there needs to be technology, you know, back in the day it was prepaid, right? To be able to serve the underbanked. And he was this crotchety old banker. And he said, I have no idea what you just said, but if, if you won't quit, I'll pull you off of this conversion and you can co-found these two practices, um, but I'm not paying for you. I'm not paying tickets for you to go to conferences. You have to get booked to speak. I'm like, nobody's going to listen to me speak. That's stupid. And he said, well, that's it. So I had to bring in some really smart folks and build models and forecasts and, and what's the tech roadmap. And it worked. And so, you know, we got prepaid and we've got health savings accounts and, um, it's, it's just kind of snowballed from there on where are things going? And isn't it wild when you look back at, at your journey, you think KPMG audit firm mm -hmm. and, and now where you are as an entrepreneur and entrepreneur at just kind of looking at that journey, what are some highlights along the way that you can point out? I'm sure there's many of them, but from where you were, where it started to maybe where you sit today, what are some highlights? Well, part of it is the, the boss I told you about. Um, and, and so many of the highlights, I think, have been 
to learn that people, even people you think are stuffy and traditional and always follow the rules, um, if you can find something that is interesting and edgy and fits within compliance, right, uh, and, and regulatory, um, that people will listen. So, and, and whole new industries are formed. So before health savings accounts were around and we went out to um, uh, health companies, Aetna, Cigna, whatever, to the big banks, the big networks, um, the big uh, traditional insurers and just said, hey guys, look what's happening. And a lot of the, the salespeople for those companies with KPMG said, oh, they're not gonna listen. That's, that's too weird, that's too far out. But it was fascinating. And if we all can find fascinating things to look at of where might the world be going, um, it's, I think a lot of us are afraid to step out, to, to explain something new or to bring others in to, to have the conversation. And what's the worst they can say? You're crazy. So uh, since we're talking women in tech in general, do you think that plagues women more than men broadly? Be afraid to try something? It's, I, I wish it wasn't, Nikki, but um, I mean, you've been a hiring manager. I've been a, a hiring manager. And even if I go back to Rise Up, like Rise Up with Money 2020, right? When that first started, and I'm, I'm super honored to have been part of that, that initial founding group. Um, and the first conversation was, hey, let's get more women speaking, right? Because even now, look at who's speaking. And at most conferences, look at who's speaking. And at the time they had, I don't know, call it 15% women speaking. And, and so they asked each of us, go find the, uh, these women who are really bright and have asked them to come speak. And almost without exception, I'd go to them and they'd say, oh, well, I don't speak. That's Joe or that's John. I, I, I don't do the speaking. Well, you're speaking now. You are the expert on it. And it really took, well, getting them to agree, first of all, and then doing like trial runs and practices and, and role playing. Um, for whatever reason. And that's, um, it, it's still a problem. Yeah, absolutely. What are some ways that you're kind of continuing to be passionate about helping to break down some of those barriers? It has to be proactive and positive. So look at, I mean, I, I don't know if we'll get to it, but talking about these, these two emerging markets that I'm working in now and going to whoever the organizer is or whoever is writing on this at, at a major, major publication in that industry and saying, um, look what's going on. Let me show you, let me have you talk to some of these experts who are building these companies or building these solutions. And you can't wait for somebody to invite. In, in my experience, you have a positive proactive story and go to the organizer, not to the salesperson, go to the organizer. And, and if you've got a good story and you've got people that have done or are doing some incredible things, you know, you get turned down a lot, but if you don't ask, they don't even know, especially with FinTech, the, the, the two markets that we'll talk about in a bit, um, it, you would be amazed at how little people who aren't in our industry understand the power of payments and the power of FinTech. And even I was in DC last week and speaking at this big event and they, they said, wow, really fintech can do that? And it's stuff we've been doing for 15 years. You just wanted to say, where have but you they been? Said, you know, well, they said we've, and this was a big event, right? Um, nobody from financial services has ever attended this. This is our 11th annual. 
And they'd look wow. back at me and said, where have you been for 10 years? Where, where, all, where are all your friends? Like putting it back on us, which is true. We should have known. Fair. We should have been there. So that's a really but good segue. Yeah, that's right. Good segue into the Emerging Markets Coalition. Tell us a little bit about what that is and what you are doing through that organization. So if you want to look it up online, it's emcoalition.org. It is purposely founded as a 501c3, which is a royal pain in the butt to, to establish and to manage. Um, but it is focused on normalizing financial services in underserved markets. If you look at the 501c3 filing, it'll say that. Um, and right now it's focused on legal cannabis. And this came about in 2019. So Nick, you know, a lot of my um, pro bono work is in anti-human trafficking, right? Mm -hmm. Helping the good guys follow the money to catch the bad guys. So they need FinTech geeks to help them understand, you know, how the money moves. And so this was probably Q2 2019 and a case, a human trafficking case involved a child. Law enforcement came and said, hey, uh, I'm on this task force, right? They said, oh, help, help us, you banking geeks, to, to figure this out. And we're looking at it and going, there's no money trail here. What, what, was this a joke? And they said, oh, no, it's all cash. And we're going, cash? What? And they said, it's cannabis money. Like, Isn't cannabis legal? Like, why, why, why is there no electronic? And the law enforcement were like, God, you are so stupid. How could you not know <laughs> that this isn't legal in all these states? And that led to um, anytime there's a bunch of cash sloshing around and nobody is, is accounting for it, bad stuff happens. I mean, there's lots of examples of that. So um, I went to my co-founder, uh, Dan Henry, who's, who's now at Green Dot, and we were just catching up on stuff, kids, whatever. And uh, we said, you know, back in the day, in the prepaid days, um, it was prepaid was similar to where cannabis financial services is now highly vilified, lots of misinformation, a lot of money, um, not a lot of regulation. Um, and so we said, you know, a lot of the same people are still at the IRS, the FBI, Senate banking, House Financial Services, CFPB, OCC, FDIC. Let's just go do whatever, you know, the whole prepaid industry did back in the day. And that's, that's kind of how it got started. So cannabis financial services is the first target. Um, and the, the, kind of tagline is making all transactions transparent, traceable, taxable. And even the far, far, far right conservatives will get behind that one. What What do you see as the future of cannabis banking? What does it look like? And how can more fintechs contribute to that, that mission? Um, so it's, it's, it's evolving a bit like Prohibition did. And we, there's, we actually get to work with some liquor historians, which is a thing I didn't know was a thing. Um, so the liquor historians are telling us um, how prohibition went, where it was by state, right? And some states it was illegal, but there was a lot of bootlegging. And that's, some will tell you, that's how the mafia really got traction was the bootlegging. And it was lots of cash moving around. But as it legalized by state, more control came in. And when it went federally legal, um, They'll tell you the stories. All of a sudden, um, people just started drinking. They were already drinking, right? But, but now it moved towards regulated, where the labels actually told you what it was, and it wasn't rot gut. Um, so you've got things running in parallel. As things legalize 
and you get more regulation and control on the product, the banking piece is coming along. And for anybody who wants to take a look, um, I was really surprised and delighted that the cannabis-related businesses are in full support of what we are, as fintech are doing, which is standards. And we've we explained to the, the cannabis businesses, look, bankers like rules, fintechs like rules. So the first standard, national standard, was cash management. So if you want to take a look, it's on the emcoalition.org website, and it's been really well accepted. There's checklists, there's all kinds of tools. Um, it, it looks like it's happening kind of like prepaid did when we did standards. And some of the banks had said after the standards came out and prepaid, they said, I can't tell you exactly what happened in my bank examination, but I will tell you, I recognize that checklist. Well, and you're exactly right. Bankers do and regulators for sure. Black and white checklist confirming that's how audits. Well, and again, back in, in the day, you know what you're looking for. So, so that's, um, that's really good. How, what, what can other fintech or banks or payment professionals do to come alongside in that, in that journey? So one of the things that I learned again, stupid in 2019, somewhat less stupid right now, um, is that this is an industry of trust and mistrust where you've got the financial services folks You've got the cannabis folks who generally, A, don't understand each other, but often don't trust each other. And then you've got the government, so it's like a three-legged stool, and they don't trust either of us, right? So this purposely, again, a 501c3 is kind of the Switzerland, and it's, it's the objective um, voice, which is why EMC gets invited to Capitol Hill and gets invited to the states and gets asked by NCUA, hey, can you help educate? because there's no horse in the race. So um, in, if there are those who are even cannabis curious, even if you're not in the market, um, my advice would be get involved in something like this nonprofit. So you can learn in a very safe place. Um, if, you, if you wanna go to the cannabis, or you wanna know what's going on at the cannabis conferences, but you don't wanna go, there's, there's subgroup, sub-meetings. If you wanna go to those, you go along with people who speak your own language. Um, but if you're not in yet in your own state, if you're not at least talking even to the clients you have that might have cannabis companies and something else that you're already banking, um, if you're not part of the conversation now, even if you're not offering the service, then when it does legalize federally, you're way behind because this is an organization of, of or industry of trust. And if it's the first time they've seen you, then you're at the back of the line and I'll, You'll appreciate this one thing because I've been going to these conferences, right, since 2019. And in the beginning, they're like, oh, you must be the banker or, or you're the lawyer, right? One of the two. Either way, we don't like you. But they keep seeing you over and over again and they'll call or email and say, hey, I've, I've, somebody's proposing a solution. Is it legit? Or can you help me? I need a payment company. I need a bank. So just this last year, um, the, one of the biggest events is in November. And once again, they were very polite, but they invited us to the parties. Now, you don't stay very long, right, for now a lot of reasons, arrived. but at least you got invited. And that was, mm -hmm. to me, that was the milestone, that you're no longer on the outside. You're still a freak, right, because you're still a yeah. banker or a lawyer or whatever, <laughs> but you're, you're there, you're their freak. You're, you're part of the inner circle. And that's the thing that we've worked really hard with EMC is it's, it's the good guys at the table. There, there are a lot of bad guys on the cannabis side and the financial services side, mm -hmm. but here's where the good guys are. 
And that's three years in the making. I mean, patience, tenacity, grit, stay in the course. Well, how have you're you- You're a parent. You know how it works. Uh, all, all day. <laughs> there are some days where I have to create my own party and just, you know- <laughs> Invite yourself. Have a little, uh-huh. Um, so I, I love- I love your passion. And that's one thing that's always come to life since, I mean, I think the first time we crossed paths was early 2000s. And one thing is for sure, you've been consistent, passionate, and honestly, if I could be so bold to say like joyful about what you're doing, how do you do that in the midst of changing markets and new opportunities and taking three years to get people to trust you. What What's that look like? And what do you find within you that helps you stay the course? Well, that was very kind. Thank, thank you. Um, well, we'll go back to parenting. You know, you, you, you teach your kids, you get up in the morning and you choose to be joyful because there could be lots of stuff flying around your head that is, is not all around um, and, and choose to be positive. Like we talked at the top of the call. If you want to, to evangelize whatever it is you're doing, um, you've got to proactively, positively go to those who can influence others. And we could talk all day long. I mean, trying to explain, my test is always, can I explain it to my dad, what it is I'm doing? Because he said, honey, I really want to tell my friends, but you're not really a banker. What, what are you? He says, you're not a drug dealer, although I know you're working, working with cannabis. And I said, dad, um, I work with those who move money for good. And I said, you know, with this cannabis, if we're not moving it and counting it and making sure everything is transparent, traceable, taxable, then the cartels run, the bad guys run. Um, on the humanitarian financial aid that I'm sure we'll talk about in a few, um, if, if, if we as fintech don't get the right money to the right people, right purpose, right time, the fraud is gross. And we'll, we'll get to those stats in a minute, but it's... Um, it, you know, with, with kids and, and, and with friends and parents, you choose what positive view am I going to take um, and, and throw off the dark. And you can't not pay attention to the dark, especially yeah, in these it. two industries. Yeah. And so I think people listening would definitely be curious. Industry number two, payments as a lifeline. What is that? What's, what is that all about? So that is a, um, a passion project. So if you want to look it up, it's um, palpay.org, P-A-A-L, pay.org. And this started in Katrina, during Katrina when I was at KPMG and had just co-founded the first prepaid practice, which nobody knew what that was, right? It was some, some freak thing. Um, but it had gotten out that we could deliver money to people who didn't have bank accounts. Not, not we, like our clients, networks, banks, whatever. Um, and so it's, it's Labor Day weekend. And the call comes in from Red Cross and they say, hey, that thing, whatever it is you have that helps get money to people who don't have bank accounts, can we have that thing? And they said there were so many people in New Orleans who were waiting for money, um, Social Security, whatever it was, they wouldn't leave. And so we worked with a huge fintech that you would know the name, um, who was in prepaid at the time. And, and I called him, the CEO, he was golfing or pheasant hunting or whatever was really pissed that he got pulled out. And I explained to him what was going on. <clears throat> I said, we need a million of your cards. And he said, well, 
they, they were the only ones that had that many. Well, we have a million, but they have this, this logo on it that, that you would know as well. And they said, if we pull it out, that huge company is not going to have their, their cards. And I explained to them what was going on. And, and they talked to the client, pulled the cards out, thermaled over them. And uh, KPMG, we did almost a million dollars in pro bono work converting from Red Cross from checks and cash to, to these cards. And it went well. Right now, it's pedestrian, right? They, they use it all the time. Everybody knows what prepaid is. But at the time, it was cutting edge. And so with that disaster, I went out to all the big brand names you would imagine that are banking, fintech, card networks, and said, hey, guys, this was really hard to do. Um, let's stand up an organization that that is ready to respond within 72 hours. Because right now, we even saw with CARES Act and, and PPP and some of these others how long it took to get money, and especially if it was somebody who didn't have a bank account, a regular bank account. So we stood up this coalition, and then there was no, ma no major disaster for nine months, and everybody wandered off. And it's happened every time. You start it up, you shut it down. Start it up, shut it down, which is really expensive. And there's a lot of chance that you're going to fail and you're going to be on the front page of the paper because you screwed up. So same thing happened in Harvey. I mean, I could, I could tell all kinds of stories. But when COVID hit, my husband is a bioinformaticist. And he's looking at it and he says, look, this is going to be here for a couple of years. And, and so I went back out to, to some of these players that... that that you might imagine MasterCard is one of the key, FIS is one of the key, Colo, Sutton Bank. Um, for whoever I'm leaving off, I apologize. But that's what's coming to mind immediately. And we said, look, guys, we need to stand this up because we've got actuarials on the advisory council and they will tell you, um, you stupid bankers, that's how we make our money. We, we, we can't predict it's going to hit Houston, but we can predict X number of, of cat fours are going to hit the U.S. and the Gulf Coast area. And so it stood up in middle of the year, like June, July-ish of 2020. And it is a, again, a nonprofit for all the same reasons before. Government trusts you more. Other nonprofits trust you more. Um, and it is fintechs and banks and, and card network coming together to say, we've got eight in a box. We have this thing ready to go. And when charity comes in, government comes in, we are ready. We've got everything approved from the networks. It's all approved from the banks. Um, and we pull it off the shelf and, and we're able to get funds out within 72 hours. Wow. Wow. You, you mentioned some stats. What, what are some stats? So 72 hours is obviously a remarkable turn time. What have you found that uh, some stats you can share about the impacts that you've made through payments as a lifeline? So, so there's some some bad stats and some good stats. So the bad stats, um, and again, I was just speaking in DC, the big event last week, um, and it was government folks that were up on stage and they, they were talking about, it, it was good in that they were talking about new grants for resiliency and, and all of that. Um, but there was nobody there except the payments as the lifeline folks from financial services. So we were really polite and waited till they came off stage and said, you know, what are you going to do about controlling for waste, fraud, and abuse? The CARES Act had, um, the average per state was 11 to 22% fraud. One state had 40%. And the unemployment, that extra 300, um, some of the experts are saying 51% went to fraud. Synthetic identities out of Russia and China and all, all kinds of things. So as a taxpayer, I mean, doesn't that piss you off? Yeah. Yep. People need, <laughs> yep. People need help, but not the bad guys. So, 
Um, Those are some of the statistics that are getting us some really good traction. And when I say us, I mean everybody that's in this coalition um, to go to um, counties, cities, states, municipalities, even at the federal government level and say, look, God bless you for the programs you're doing and the the money that's being raised. um, But let's make sure it matches what it's supposed to match. And so being able, if you go to the, the palpay.org website, you'll see um, we've got partners, coalition partners that are on the ground um, in Uvalde and in Kentucky, both the tornadoes and now the floods. Um, even in Ukraine, when that hit, one of the partners, you'll see um, they were there within three days of the, the first Russian incursion. And so our the, the coalition team, uh, one of the banks said, Okay, let's figure it out. Let's let's enable this. And what the the foundations, the charities, and the government have liked, and and you know this, Nikki, with with fintech on the back end, we can switch off certain merchant category codes. So being able to, especially the foundations have said, we're getting more donations because of this because we can say that we've shut off adult entertainment, we've shut off online gaming. Um, In some cases, we shut off cash access. And then this is so simple that it'll it'll make you laugh. But um, then we do these after action reports that are, are, it's just one page, very simple overview. Nobody in FinTech would be even remotely impressed. Um, But a key part of it is a pie chart that has maybe 12 to 13 merchant category like broad codes. And so we, we can tell whomever the funder was, here's how your money was spent. And you would think we cured cancer. I mean, it was, it's the first time most of the charities won't give money because they want to make sure that it goes, if you're, if you're supposed to feed your kids, they want to give you food, right? They don't want you to Mm -hmm. go buy lottery tickets. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's very costly to gather, get the stuff donated, get it sorted, get it out, especially in COVID, you couldn't have contact with people. So we're evangelizing that if you work with these fintech partners, government and charities, you can make sure that if Nikki gets 500 bucks, it'll go for food. We can make sure it goes for food. And then we can report back, not how Nikki spent her money, but that she's part of this $50 million bundle and 11% went to transportation and 15% food, whatever it was. And it is so, um, one of the the government folks called it transformational. She's Mm -hmm. a, a, leader in government for 25 years, and she participated, her group did, in the one of the pilots. And she said, you know, you as fintech people, she said, don't poo-poo what you're doing. We've never had this data before. We've never had the control, and we've never been able to see how it was spent. And then some of these big charities, they're taking that stupid little after-action report um, and sharing it with their donors who say, oh, well, you as a charity, if I want to feed um, moms and kids, you as a charity are proving to me that's what you did. This other charity, I'm just throwing money over a fence and hoping that, that it, it goes where it's supposed to. So it's, it's stuff we've been doing for 10, 15 years, but it's just pointing it at a different industry. And the, the coalition members and anybody who's interested in learning more, please contact me. Um, but the, the coalition members are dedicated to a code of ethics, best practices. Um, and it's, it's really simple for us. It's things that we as ethical people would do anyway, but there's a lot of really unethical people, uh, entities that are serving uh, 
charities and, and foundations, it's sometimes it's almost embarrassing to be in payments to see what passes as acceptable. Yeah. You know, when we launched False FinTech um, a couple of years ago, we saw a lot of FinTech applicants come into the way that couldn't really explain uh, through our selection process what they were doing exactly. And it, we started to get a little suspect that there was thinking about it as structuring, like in the money laundering sense, it was just layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of no clear articulation of what they were ultimately trying to do. And I think that, to your point before about trust, would rapidly erodes you, you know, the trust in the industry. How do we know that the money's actually going to this charity? How do we know that this thing is is what it is? So I think the value that you've created in the code of ethics and following that protocol um, is is a really important important thing to have. So the uh, this is going to be kind of switching gears, but follows in the same same vein between you know cannabis and payments as a lifeline. One's maybe more of a passion project. The other one's kind of cutting edge, i.e. emerging. How do you decide what to say yes to when you select the next thing that you spend your time on? Again, as we opened up, you've, I mean, NBPCA, for those of you that don't know, Network Branded Prepaid Card Association back in the day, which is now the IPA, Innovative Innovation, Innovative Payments Association? Innovative Payments Association. Am I that right? Okay. Um, so you've been on on the forefront of all kinds of different things. So how do you choose where you're going to put your time and energy? I hadn't thought about that. Mm. Uh, that wasn't in one of your questions. It wasn't. Um, no. Um, I think it's got to be, you know, you said earlier about joyful. Um, I would add impactful. Um, if if what you choose to do, and, and as you know, Nikki, it's all about bringing your friends in as well, friends and colleagues, because nobody can do this big stuff on their own. So part of it is, did it inspire? Is it going to solve a problem uh, or, or open a door? Both of these, both um, legal cannabis and humanitarian financial aid are gigantic markets that are highly profitable. This is not just about a greater good. It, it is. Um, but if we stepped aside for seven minutes and went through some of these numbers, it, it's amazing. And they're so underserved. So it's got to be um, an opportunity because if, if people can't make money, they're not going to do it, right? Um, hopefully it's solving a problem that needs to be remedied that nobody else will. And then probably like you, would you test it with your friends and you test it with your friends who are no bullshit and they will tell you, you have lost your flipping mind and, and stop it. Um, or they'll say, well, okay, I'm on for the ride. What, what, what do you want me to do? Um, and it's, you're in an industry long enough and you create this circle of friends that are all have expertise in different areas. Um, but you never want a, a, a yes man, a, a yes woman. You want somebody that'll say, mm, Bullshit. no, that's not your best Bullshit. idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, the, I'm, I'm trying to pick up on the idea of, again, women in tech and being afraid to, to speak out. And again, the example of, oh, I don't do that. That's, that's Joe's job. What encouragement do you have for other women who might be listening that says, gosh, I feel like I have some really great ideas, but I don't know where to start or what my next step should be. What advice would you have for the next best step for those women? I would like Nikki, and maybe this is the start of it, right? While we're talking here. Um, 
everybody needs a good, no bullshit sounding board, but they also need somebody with empathy and a really good network. So um, I, I loved Rise Up and the, the, the mentees that I got to work with. Um, but you, it, it, it was a small group. It's always a small group because it's such a thorough program. But wouldn't it be cool if there was some um, platform matching whatever where you come in and you say, gosh, I think I've got this really great idea, but I don't know where to go. And you get matched up with somebody who's, who's been in the market for a while, has a good network, who says, I'll give you 15 minutes. I know something about, you're interested in cannabis. I know something about cannabis. Let's talk for 15. And it would at least give the person, you, um, a, like a sniff test of, am I an idiot? Or does this thing really have legs? So that's the first thing that gives you your confidence that you're not an idiot. That, that this is a good idea. I'm just riffing here Absolutely. on, on what would be cool. Again, another um, question that was not on the, the list. Well, and then you could build from that, that there's different stages and maybe, maybe you hear, gosh, it is a good idea. I'm fine. That's my sanity check. I'm going to go someplace else. But you might say, you know, can I have another 15 minutes? Cause why is it good? Or who, what should I do next? Um, cause so many of these mentor programs, will you sign up for five years to mentor 10 hours a week? Like would love to, but you know, you got to pay tuition, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can't, yeah. but maybe if it could be done in these bites and at the end of each bite is, uh, that, sorry, I don't have any more time or, or you say you're a whack job. I don't want to talk to you again. Um, but it, so you've got people who want to give and people who want to learn, but you're not, making a commitment to raise a kid, right? right. That's exactly right. It's just these bites of time. Well, and even with False Fintech, you've been a mentor and an advisor for a a number of companies. And one in particular is a a couple women co-founders. And Mm -hmm. I know specifically following on with them that they have said your advice has been priceless in just giving them direction and sifting through the noise and knowing what the next steps are, aren't, should be, shouldn't be. And so even to have somebody like yourself in people's back pockets, again, your, your time is precious and <laughs> mother, wife, you know, and every other role that you're playing. Um, I, I, I just really appreciate you being willing to give of your time, talents, and advice, even if you sometimes maybe feel like you're crazy. Um, it's, you've got, you've got experience that is worth hearing. So, so I appreciate that. That is really sweet. That must be how a teacher feels, right? That, that a student comes back and said, you, you helped. Cause I didn't, the story you just told, I didn't know. Oh yeah. They, they've been, they have been more than appreciative and would contribute a a lot of their success to advice that you've given them and being available to do that has been been remarkable. So from another woman's perspective, my advice to my own question of what would I encourage people to do is get involved, say yes to certain things that are consistent with your heart and that being impactful and inspiring or whatever else is, is a value to your soul. I, I think women need to take those leaps and not be afraid to just hear no, if that's the thing. Um, that rejection element can really hurt, but getting past that is super important. And everything you've been able to do along with other people, other women um, to, to make a difference started with putting yourself out there. 
Well, and, and willing to take no. And, and if somebody says no, they're not saying no to you. You're awful. It's that, that's not an idea I'm going to get behind. Right. It's not maybe you just have to develop. And this is hard, but to develop a thicker skin and and just know it's nothing personal. But if you don't tee up, is it Gretzky? You miss every every goal shot you, you don't take. Every shot you don't take. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, Kirsten, it has been a pleasure spending this last chunk of time with you. And I know you have to run, so I will let you um, take off from there. But thank you so much for your words. Again, everybody, um, Emerging Markets Coalition and Payments as a Lifeline. Check it out. Reach out. Uh, get involved. And uh, Kirsten, again, appreciate your wisdom. Thank you. This was so much fun. Great. We'll talk soon. There you have it. We hope you enjoyed this episode of FinTech Brews and News. Keep up with all the content and cool stuff happening at Falls FinTech and Central Payments by checking out our website, our YouTube channel, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss out on our next episode. I'm Nikki Rohde. And I'm Trent Sorby. See you next time.